Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the City of Champions podcast. My guest today is Ashif Maji, who will be making his second appearance on the podcast. Ashif is a tech entrepreneur and investor. And back in 2019, we talked about his incredible life story growing up in Kenya, uh, moving to Canada, and starting his first business ventures here. This time around, however, we're focusing on his role as chair of the Edmonton Police Foundation, how the foundation began, and their current projects aimed at making Edmonton a safer and more prosperous community. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation with Ashif Maji. Okay, we're live, sitting here with Ashif. Thanks again for joining me on uh, City Champions Podcast Round 2 for you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I think our, our last one was a year and a half ago. That's correct. Lots yeah. has changed. Yeah. Um, I want to start with a selfish question, just because I know you're a, you're a conscientious and thoughtful and kind of planned guy. What What's this year been like for you in the midst of COVID and the pandemic? And how have you been you know, guarding your, your mental health and, and keeping motivated to, to continue doing things? You know, it, it's it's uh, brought to light that we, you know, and I've always had this instinct that we're all in on this planet together. We're all one, mm-hmm. right? And I think this pandemic has really proven to everybody that we're all susceptible to the same things. And if we don't act as one, it's not going to work, mm-hmm. right? And so it, it's really, to me, this has brought us together. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it from a family standpoint, you know, we're spending a lot more. We're playing board games like we've never played board games before, mm-hmm. you know, going out golfing, things like that. So uh, I always tend to look at the positives. There's mm-hmm. always negatives, so I'll focus on the positives. And to me, it's just brought to light that uh, we can all, you know, work together, act together, uh, and recognize that we're all the same. Yeah, I think if you can stay off social media and see the the really divisive comments going around about it, I mean, right. it's you know, it's it's a reality, and you just have to deal with it. Right? Yeah. Um, so today we're going to talk about the Edmonton Police Foundation. Um, before we kind of dive into the specifics and the details of it, can you just kind of give me a um, an overview of of what the Edmonton Police Foundation is? How is it different or separate from EPS? Right. For sure. So the Edmonton Police Foundation actually first got started, um, I forget the year, but it was when Air One, when the helicopter was being thought of, right? So a bunch of community-minded citizens got together and said, look, we need a chopper for the city. And at that time, the city didn't have enough money to pay for it. So they came up with, okay, well, let's, let's fundraise and let's get something together. So they came up with the Edmonton Police Foundation and its first big goal was to fundraise for the for the helicopter. Mm-hmm. And from that on, from that point on, you know, we always knew. And, and if you look at you know Stollery, or you look at the University Hospital, or even the university, there's side organizations uh, that are the not-for-profit arm, mm-hmm. right? And they help bring that organization to excellence, right? Right. So core funding for EPS comes from the city, mm-hmm. okay? But if you really want to take it to that level of excellence, which isn't funded publicly you need a foundation. And right. that's what the Edmonton Police Foundation does. It, it helps EPS get to that level of excellence that they want to get to, mm-hmm. but don't have the funding for. So then Ashif, um, after after they raised the money for, for the helicopter, um, what was like what was the idea of keeping the EPF going versus just, okay, we met our goal and we, we don't need this thing anymore? Yeah, so then so the, 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 the community-minded citizens that put this together thought, you know, Helicopters, you know, step one. Mm-hmm. There's going to be other things that the police need, mm-hmm. and so they carried that on, and they started more fundraising, etc. So, 
you know, other projects came to light, um, things around community policing, uh, school resource officers, and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, that was helped in part fund funding through the Edmonton Police Foundation. Now, what initially drew you to the foundation? What, what was the reason that you wanted to get started? You know, my personality is I like to learn and, and lean in to different things that I've never been exposed to, mm -hmm. right? So uh, technology is something that I've kind of grown up with, right? But when I joined, you know, uh, the Stollery Board, you know, I, I, I wanted to learn about healthcare, especially with children. With, with, uh, with the EPF, it was the same thing. It was saying, okay, well, this is a pillar of our society. Without safety... In the community, we don't have anything, mm -hmm. right? So if you think about from a, from a business standpoint, you think about, you know, where do you want to move to? Where do you want to work from, et cetera? You're going to look for things like healthcare, education, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But if the, if the community isn't safe, you're not going to move there. Mm -hmm. You could have the best healthcare, the best education, et cetera. So to me, I was driven to the Edmonton Police Foundation because its mission was to help make the community even safer. And to me, that's important for any vibrant city. You need to have a safe community. Right. And so as, you know, as this year has sort of upended the, the view of police in North America, you know, there's people on one side saying, you know, defund the police. There's people saying, no, in fact, the police need resources. You seem to be more in the camp of like, we need to more, better equip the police, better train the police. Is right. that fair to say? Well, for sure. I mean, you know, th there's no doubt in any organization, there is always going to be a few bad apples, no matter what sector you look at. You could look at, you know, teaching, you can look at healthcare, you can look at anything, mm -hmm. right? And there's always a few bad apples. Um, so do you paint everybody with that same brush? You don't, mm -hmm. right? And so you have to look at it saying, okay, well, what are the core issues and how can we get around it, mm -hmm. right? Education and training is very important. Being aware of what, you know, systematic racism is, first of all, is important. So let's get that education out there. Let's mm -hmm. get them the right resources. Because all in all, they're very good people. Mm -hmm. Again, there'll be a few bad apples in every place. And that's okay. Did you see the... Jeez, um, uh, uh, who's the comedian now? I'm blanking all of a sudden. Um, Dave Chappelle. Did you see yes. his big thing? And yeah. you know, he referenced the, the few bad apples and he yeah. compared it to... To airline pilots, yeah. we can't have a few bad airline pilots. But to me, that that analogy didn't land at all because you, you don't have your job isn't based around interacting people with people in mostly a negative light. Right? right, you're not pulling people over, you're not going to domestic disputes, you're not investigating uh, murders and things of that nature. Right, um, you know people trying to land planes are typically getting shot at. Right. So to, to me, that few bad apples thing, people I think often don't take into account the, the human element of policing, right. what these calls do to the officers who, who respond to them right. constantly, right? right? It's just nonstop. And then you have to go home and, and you have to be around your family, which, which is good and supportive. But uh, it's interesting, I was hearing this from, from a, a fellow in law enforcement, he said, People who are in the military who come back, you know, and they've seen horrific things overseas. Yeah, they come back and and then they get into policing um, in Edmonton, and some of the things they see, it's almost more traumatic because right. your your whole con construct of um, or context of, of where you are is more damaging uh, to your psyche. You go like, okay, I'm overseas, I'm I'm in war, I expect bad things right. to happen, right. but. Now I'm back home. I'm 30 minutes from my house and I see this horrific incident right. or, or this situation. Um, and that can really weigh on people. Sure. Yeah. So I, th I think it's, um, 
yeah, it, it's an interesting it's an interesting time for that um, in general. So um, the EPF right now, it's um, it's kind of got its big push for this new program, the Community Solutions Accelerator. Right. So let's kind of start basic. What what is an accelerator for people? Yeah. So you know, an accelerator is you know, if you look at the term accelerate, it, it's to speed things up, mm-hmm. right? It's to speed. Uh, from an idea, an innovative idea, to actually execution, meaning delivering on that idea, mm-hmm. right? And so it's very common in tech, right? So, um, yeah. So the accelerator is again a way to to accelerate an idea from innovation to execution. Mm-hmm. Um, what we know about policing, healthcare, etc., is and even government, you, you you don't have a facility where you can fail. Mm-hmm. Okay, you can't have a failing healthcare system. You can't have failing policing. Now, what if you want to do something innovative? You have to take risks, mm-hmm. right? So if you have to take risks, you have to allow for failure, failure yeah. right? That's what the lab does, and that's what the accelerator does. Okay. Right? So it's a safe space to try, try out new ideas and, and without there being uh, too much of a downside to them. Exactly. And so who whose first idea was it to bring the accelerator to the EPF? So this was actually the chief's idea, okay. right? The chief had, had thought about this when he was in Saskatchewan, right? And so when he came here, him and I had a meeting up front. And he said, you know, I'm thinking about something like this. And, I, you know, we didn't have the term CSA at that time. Mm-hmm. But he said from a conceptual standpoint, would the foundation want to be involved in something where we could do something in a lab type approach, right? right? Where we can experiment, mm-hmm. right? And so... I said, you know, that's a really good idea because I've been thinking along the same lines. Yeah, and that's right, right up your alley, obviously. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we, we gelled right away, mm-hmm. and I said, you know, here's how we can do it. And so we both of us brainstormed, and mm-hmm. we came up with this approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, when you're pulling together, um, is, is there a separate board for the CSA, or is it just completely run by the EPS? No, no, it's a separate board. So okay. we, we then, then we said, okay, well, we need community partners. Mm-hmm. Without the community being involved, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So we reached out and we immediately got TELUS, yeah. ATB, UFA, the government of Alberta, Amy, uh, et cetera, to come to the table, Motorola and so forth. And they said, we want to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. And so they all contributed in their own way and they're all part of the board. So mm-hmm. those are our founding partners and okay. they're part of the board at the CSA. And was there anything else around North America like this that, that this was modeled after? Is this a pretty novel approach? It's a novel approach, you know, to our uh, knowledge. And nothing like this exists around the world. Yeah. Right. And it's uh, and if you think about it, you know, policing um, has a lot of respect, mm-hmm. right, in, in terms of, you know, trusting, right? You, you trust them. And so when we have to work with data, mm-hmm. you know, if, a, if an institution was trying to do this alone, they would have a hard time. But policing sees every aspect. They see healthcare issues, they see mental health issues, they see you know, uh, crime-related issues mm-hmm. and so forth. And so that would be a great place to be the stakeholder of the, da- of the data, the owner of the data, if you will. Right. right. And so in a lab-type setting where you have accredited professionals you know, with the right clearance looking at the data, mm-hmm. it makes it a lot easier to absorb. So now you're, you're pulling together data from multiple sources, I imagine. What are, what are those main sources? So right now, it's just law enforcement okay. data, right? Uh, ultimately, we're going to have you know, data coming in from different agencies that want to participate, right? It, it could be already publicly available data. Mm-hmm. It could be secure data. If it's secure data, we have a, we have a, a lab, uh, again, with 
you know, the right people that have the right credentials and the right, right you know, agreements, et cetera, mm-hmm. to be able to work with that before it's ever released anywhere else. Yeah. So, so you pulled together this data from, from the Edmonton police. Um, how do you decide which, which of the issues you want to tackle first? What, what's the, the decision matrix or the rubric there that you use? Yeah. So, and that's where the CSA board comes into play, right? So they look at it and go, well, what's the overall community impact? Mm-hmm. How is this going to make a real difference in the community? So the first one was the liquor store theft challenge, right? Mm-hmm. On, the, on the outset, it may look like, well, we're just trying to prevent robberies or, or thefts. Um, yes, that's one of the goals. But if you actually dive, and again, the data shows you this, mm-hmm. you can see that it's actually uh, organized crime that is getting these people that are addicted mm-hmm. uh, on, on various substances, be it meth or whatever, to go in and commit these crimes for them. Right. So they can sell that liquor you know, to bars or, or restaurants that are buying illegal liquor, mm-hmm. right? So if you think of the root cause, these people that have these addictions, we can get them the right help, right? Mm-hmm. If we go to the right approach. And so if we eliminate this supply uh, of, of bars or restaurants that are buying illegal liquor, then we can mm-hmm. get them the right help, right? Yeah. Get, 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 get these folks that are addicted, that are actually committing the crimes, the right help. Understood. Do you yeah. want to grab? Is that the girl? Okay. Um, so with that, I mean, you've got. Okay. So just explain the policy or sort of the the, the pretense around um, liquor store theft. You know, why is it a problem? What are the policies around it currently? Yeah. Um, you know, when when it comes to people actually robbing liquor stores, how does that how does that unfold, and what are the dangers to to people? Yeah. So again, you know, the the the. I, I guess the the, the the sense where you know somebody just walks in, mm-hmm. they need a drink, can't mm-hmm. afford a drink, and they put a bottle in their pocket. Mm-hmm. That's not what this is about. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a very different problem, and it doesn't happen that much. This is where again, it's it's somebody who's got some kind of an addiction, okay, or or needs some money for for something else, mm-hmm. is helping an organized crime unit get specific bottles, so specific vodkas, whiskeys, etc., mm-hmm. because there's a market for it. Right. Okay, so they're going in and doing that. Now, sometimes what's, what, what they're noticing, the liquor stores are noticing, is that these people committing the crime are addicted on something. They're, they're already on something. Right. Which means when they come into that store, they're not in the right frame of mind. Mm-hmm. Now, if they have a weapon, they could use that weapon unknowingly, mm-hmm. right? Not in that frame of mind. And, and that's a danger to the people working in the liquor store. Right. And the, and the customers in, in the liquor store as well, I imagine, right? Exactly. So one of the things I found interesting is, is like when I, as an uninformed observer or, or someone who understands that there's a problem with liquor store theft, you know, my first, where my brain goes first is, oh, people are just stealing liquor to go drink it. Right. And so you're saying that's not the main problem. And I think what I've read is that a big problem is the resale of that liquor to establishments who then... Have a competitive advantage over other establishments because they're getting free liquor or very cheap liquor to, to resell to the public but it's also kind of instigating this cascading effect of, of crime when it comes to drugs and and illicit activities so if you if you know that this stolen liquor is being uh sold at bars and restaurants do you are you aware of which establishments are doing this no, so so what EPS, I mean, and that's you know the, the solution we picked, mm-hmm. kind of helps them identify that, right? So certain bottles will have trackers. Yeah. Okay. So the trackers will actually tell you all the points that that bottle traveled. Right. So the first one is it's going to be in the liquor store. Mm-hmm. Now the person comes and steals it. Okay. Presumably, if 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 the hypothesis is correct, they're going to go to the the organized crime unit mm-hmm. 
right where they will keep it. Yeah. And then at a certain point, it'll now end up in the restaurant or bar that is doing that. And I want to be clear, the, the people, the restaurants, bars that we think are doing this mm-hmm. would be less than 1% of all the restaurants. So right. we don't want to paint, you know, it's not like every restaurant is doing this. No, yeah. it's again, it's the bad apple, mm-hmm. right? It's the, the rare situation. And so now, you know, EPS will be able to tell, okay, this bottle, you know, ended up in this location and mm-hmm. stayed there for X number of days. It's presumable that's the broker, right? Right, and then it goes to this bar or restaurant. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now they know the whole supply chain, if you will. But if you before the trackers are implemented, if you know that the the bottles are being stolen and then and then resold, yeah, how do you how do you understand that it's being resold and not understand which establishments are reselling it already? Because they they don't without the trackers they don't know where it's going, right? And yeah. so so this was again a theory. Mm-hmm. COVID, oh, okay. COVID proved it out. Yeah. So what happened is if you look at the stats, right? Mm-hmm. Liquor store thefts were high pre, pre-COVID. Can we just talk about how high? Because it blew me away when I was, oh, it's when like I was researching. Nine-some nine thousand robberies. Yeah, in Edmonton alone, yeah. right? Yeah. I think it averaged 26 a day. A day. 26 yeah. liquor store robberies yeah. a day in Edmonton. Well, at first, I thought that was the whole province, and I reread it, and I thought no. that was Edmonton. And, you know, there's certain stores <clears throat> that are hit three or four times a day. Yeah. So can you imagine if you're working there? Like, you're... you're Scared, right? Like, That's I mean, terrible. Yeah. So, so, so the theory was okay. We we you know this is this is the liquor stores thinking. Mm-hmm. Okay, we think that it's restaurants or bars, you know, that are buying this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it was a theory. Right. COVID hit, and so all these you know the restaurants bars had to stop. Mm-hmm. Right, just like pretty much everything else. Well, guess what? Liquor store. Thefts went now. Liquor stores were open, yeah, but the thefts went down. Interesting. Okay, so it's supportive of, of that of that hypothesis. Exactly. May fourteenth, things <clears> open <throat> up in Alberta. Yeah. Well, guess what? Liquor store thefts go up. Interesting. Right. So it's it was kind of it was you know it was a theory that yeah. they had, and the data showed it. Well, and now people have to wear masks, so that's just e- even better protection exactly. for these people exactly. who are who are who are robbing the spots. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, just, like in terms, not only in terms of the the, the harm to to customers and employees uh, not only like you know the 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 further of illicit activities in the province but in terms of the economic impact like this you know in in Ontario where the liquor board is run provincially right, right? the right. LCBO I read that in 2019 they lost 72 million dollars of product to, right. theft, to theft which is yeah. Which is staggering when you think that's like that's taxpayers' money, sure. right? Sure. And you know, while we're not while we're not public system here, we're privatized. Yeah, you know, there's still taxes that come sure. off of those, and yeah. so I think people need to understand, like, you know, the average person. I think, what do I care about liquor store robberies, right? But that's taking money out of our pockets. Yeah. It's causing inefficiency in the system, yeah. taking money out out of out of the pot for yeah. everyone. And we all pay for it, you know, <clears throat> with increased insurance premiums, etc. Mm-hmm. Right. So we all and, and the police. Police have to deal with this, mm-hmm. right? Rather than dealing with other crimes, right? It's right. Ninety-five hundred so, uh, instances a year, and yeah. I, I think I read on average one point five hours um, per per incident that a police has to report, and right. takes the time of, of going and interviewing and all that stuff. That's a lot of wasted time. That's exactly. a lot of wasted resources. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just imagine there's things that we could be, you know, more efficiently spending police's time on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then, and then just the fear of, you know, in Calgary, one person was stabbed, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, we think these crimes are going to get more violent, Yeah. right? Just as time goes on. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the last thing we want is somebody hurt, 
you know, seriously in an incident like that. Mm -hmm. So if we can, if we can avert that, then, you know, it's money well spent. So you identify the problem, you, you put together this challenge, you put out a challenge to people. Here's, here's the problem as we see it. Yeah. Um, and then you opened it up to submissions from around the world. Correct. Which is, which is incredible. So over 200 submissions. Yeah, we had 222 submissions from virtually every continent. How, how would someone in Africa find out about this? So the platform we use is called HeroX, and HeroX is, is an established innovation platform. I see. So these innovators mm -hmm. all subscribe to because they, they have challenges from NASA, from you know, uh, GE, global companies will mm -hmm. post challenges on this platform. Oh, okay. Right. So people either can submit alone or they can come up with a team. So yeah. you and I can form a team and we can collaborate and, and put in a bid together. Um, and ultimately, the winner happened to be right here in our backyard. Uh, which was, you know, if you'd asked me pre-challenge, yeah. I wouldn't have guessed that. Why wouldn't you have guessed that? You know, I just thought, like, okay, well, you know, it's going around to the world, yeah. right? There's going to be people in, and I didn't, I wouldn't say a certain country is, but somewhere out there in the world, right. somebody will come up with an ingenious solution, right? Right. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just funny that, you know, you think about it, you go, you know, because we haven't solved the problem here, mm -hmm. right? So it's it's realistic to think we might not have the solution here, mm -hmm. right? And and it might come from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that. And then you know when we when we went through the whole process, uh, it was just interesting because every judge picked McEwen. Yeah. Right. Every was was it a blind selection? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, so they didn't even know yeah. they were picking. No, I mean McEwen. we knew the person. I was going to say because yeah. that could be a bad look for you know a little bit of a competitive advantage, no. but it makes sense when you think yeah. about it. These are these are local people. They you know they understand the population. They understand the city. Like yeah. what does someone in Europe know about Edmonton? Right next to nothing. Right. right. Yeah. Um, so it does kind of make sense. But that is that is super interesting. I'm glad that you said that it's it's a blind selection. Yeah. Well, so it was up to the point of the shortlist. Right. Right. Because uh, and because when they're doing their pitch, they're actually you know we're seeing them right, and they mm -hmm. explain where they're from and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But by that point, it had no bearing. Yeah. Right. The fact that they had made it all the way through mm -hmm. uh, is the testament. Now it's the solution is is three parts as far as I understand right you've got the tracker um, you've got public awareness uh, campaign right and then there was one more element you know, so the the last one is going to be a data driven thing so mm -hmm. we're going to now use artificial intelligence and machine learning mm -hmm. to figure out you know the the propensity like where so get get into more of a predictive yeah. nature so when we see the past trends. We'll be able to look at it and go, you know, we think the next hit is going to be here. Right. Right. And these are the types of bottles that are going to be stolen, mm -hmm. which means we're going to put more trackers in that skew than in any other skew. Right. Right. To increase the odds of, you know, if it does get stolen, then mm -hmm. we're going to find it and, and figure out where yeah. it's happening. And it's an interesting, like it's a novel approach because it's, it's almost counterintuitive, right? Like instead of thinking, oh, I want to prevent liquor store thefts. Well, we're going to put armed guards in the stores or we're going to put, you know, bars on the window and make everyone swipe their ID before they go in the store. You, you say, well, look, that's that's an aggressive solution, right? And that doesn't really get to the, the, the foundation of the problem. So right. you guys have actually gone and identified a problem at sort of farther down the line that just disincentivizes the behavior, yeah. right? Yeah. So it kind of brings up an interesting question that I think a lot about is what, you know, how, when you're getting people to change behavior, um, moral versus uh, economic incentive change right you know like can you rely on people to morally change their behavior or or do you have to put some type of economic incentive in place to truly get you know from the ground up changes you know I, I think it depends on the personality 
of the people you're targeting. Mm -hmm. There's certain people that as long as you communicate in the right way and, and give them the evidence that they need to see, mm -hmm. the moral will, will, will over, you know, like will take over in terms of whether it's that or, or monetary. Certain people will be like, yeah, if this happens, all of these bad things happen anyways. Why do I care? Right. Right. And so if you look at people that go and report into Crime Stoppers, they're doing it, you know, you might think they're doing it for the money. Mm -hmm. Some people are, are doing it just to report it, mm -hmm. right? They don't care about the reward. They don't right. want the reward. Right. So it, it again depends. So that's why I think if you have both, you target your, for, your, for your morality, you have the right messaging. Mm -hmm. So people understand, okay, this isn't just about liquor being sold. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of root cause issues that we're going to help. Right. They're going to be about, you know, they're going to be like, okay, well, let's stop it. Right. Right. There'll be others that kind of work in those places and go, you know, mm -hmm. I don't want to snitch unless I get compensated. Yeah. Right. Right. And so that's where the monitor comes in. But I mean, in so that I understand like though you can appeal to certain people's morals, I think at the individual level. But when you're dealing with big groups of people, right, yeah. like do, do groups of people really understand anything other than just, you know, what is what is best for my pocketbook or, you know. Like if criminals had a more lucrative legal opportunity, do you right. think they would continue doing crime, or do you think they would move into something that's that's legal? Yeah, that's a tough question. You know, it, I, I I still I still think it gets down to individual. You know, so we come from a culture, you know, an upbringing where you know we were taught that you have to be good, you have to be ethical, you have to be moral. Mm -hmm. And you can make more money by doing things illegally, mm -hmm. uh, but these other things have a much higher value, right? And so we would never go down the other path, mm -hmm. right? So I think it comes down to education. Yeah. So if we can, you know, to, to really help that, I think we need to make sure that our education system puts a higher value on ethics and morality. Yeah. You know, there's a thing, there's a saying, you know, just because you can, should you? Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think the more that that's taught. Um, in education, the more we'll build a society that is puts more more value again on ethics and morality. Yeah, there's a, there's got to be some type of social element to it as well because I'm trying the the author's name escapes me might have been Malcolm Gladwell but someone did an, a case study of like drug dealers in the yeah. U.S. I think it was in Chicago. They found like you know they identified the multiple levels. You've got your on the corner dealer, and then you've got your one up from him who kind of like takes in product locally, and then you've got your regional distributor, and then right. you've got your national or federal distributor. And he found that like on average, most guys who are working the drug trade are making less than minimum wage right. based <laughs> based right. on. But but he identified the fact that if you got to that higher level, then it became worth it. But right. 90% of people got shot or, or, right. or kicked out before that point anyway. Right. So there's there's got to be some type of social draw to to a world of crime or or maybe it's just a, not knowing anything better. Yeah. Like I just think like, you know, you see how creative criminals can be sometimes and to me it, it baffles me like if you just put that effort into into legal means like you, you could be successful, sure. right? But we don't give them the opportunity sometimes, right? Yeah. So sometimes it's it's just society hasn't given them now because we, we put a, you know, the, the first look will, will kind of dictate how we treat them, mm -hmm. right? And so again, that's an education that we need to all take into account, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you see a homeless person, you you'll have a certain something will will hit your mind, right? You'll mm -hmm. be you you'll put them in a bucket, yeah. so to speak. Of course, is that fair? Yeah. Well, it's right? heuristics. It's built into our psychology. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So, 
So which is why within the CSA, you know, we're looking at this problem from different angles. We have another challenge, mm -hmm. which is around homelessness, mm -hmm. okay? And, and getting a person off the path of dependency, okay? So we're calling that project Home Base. Home Base. And it's really about, okay, we know the path a person takes mm -hmm. when they're homeless, and we know the challenges they face. How can we get them off that path in a more sustainable way, mm -hmm. okay? Getting them shelter is just one part of the equation, mm -hmm. right? But with that, you know, if you have a home and you don't have a living, mm -hmm. you're not going to feel good about yourself, mm -hmm. right? So how, how can we give them that self-confidence? How can we give them that sustainable job? How can we give them the help that they need? They're going to struggle from time to time. They're mm -hmm. going to need help. How can we get them more connected? So we're working on that right now. So we're in the, in the needs identification process right now, right? So for, for, for us... That's again a part of the overall solution, hmm. right? So again, so we get that person that's addicted off the path of of stealing mm -hmm. liquor, but they need something else. Right. So that's where home base comes in, right? Right. So it's again that that journey. So they can see a clear path, saying, "I don't need to commit crime. I can mm -hmm. be a better person," mm -hmm. right? Well, it's so a, a couple things. Firstly, I want to ask. So you said you've identified. Um, the, the path to someone becoming homeless. Um, what, how many commonalities are in that based on case to case? Like, is it a pretty, is it a pretty typical pattern for people or are there, there way more variants of, of one story? I wouldn't say there's way more variants. I, I think it's, it's a, it's a near typical, you know, mm -hmm. everybody has nuances obviously. Right. And you're not going to be able to solve everything. Mm -hmm. So we, we're not trying to say we're going to solve 80% of our homeless needs. No. Mm -hmm. uh, our goal is actually 20%. Right? If we can make a 20% dent, mm -hmm. that's amazing. And then we'll iterate. We'll improvise. We'll get to 30, 40, 50, etc. Right. But we're starting with 20. Yeah, you need a manageable, attainable exactly. goal to begin with, right? Exactly. And it's obviously something that's been a problem for, I don't know, long decades and decades. And never right? been solved, right? It keeps we're, getting worse in places like California. Exactly. And, you know, it's, yeah. it's a, that's an interesting one. So a, an interesting thing to think about, too, when you're talking about you know, crime committed by vulnerable populations or, or homeless people. Um, when you when you have an uncertain future, you you act in irresponsible ways, right? So, you know, if if I know the world is going to end tomorrow, yeah, am I going to be sitting here doing this podcast? Right, probably not. Right, right? what am I going to be doing? Going to enjoy my last day. Sure. And the same, I think, goes for people who have uncertain futures just in life in general, right? Like, right. why am I incentivized to act in a morally conscious, conscious way? Why am I going to try and, you know, build up a future for myself when I don't think that there is a future, right? right? right. So how do you shift that perspective of, of the, the lost or the, the uh, disenfranchised to say, look, there is a place for you. Right. Um, you, you can get there. I know it seems cloudy right now. I know right. it seems like it's going right. to be hard to get there. But right. really, I mean, you know, you're a testament to this. Anything's attainable. You just need to kind of pick a goal and right. start chipping away at it, yeah. right? Figure out the steps to get there from A through Z. Right. I keep saying Z because I'm, <laughs> I'm going to the U.S. soon. But, um, and then another interesting question, and then we can go um, back into into the uh, mental health and, and wellness app right? yeah. because I think that's really important to talk about. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there's such a thing as in a morally irredeemable human? And I'll give you some context okay. before you yeah. answer. So again, you know, a fellow I know in law enforcement, he, um, you know, he tell me about these, these people in places that it's, you know, during a, over the course of a normal year, they're, they're dealing with police 
more often than they're not dealing with the police. Right. Like they, you right. know, constant break and enter, public disturbance, into- public intoxication, you know, assault, battery, the works, right? They, these are people who have pages and pages of, of sort of a police interaction rap sheet. Right. At what point, if, if at all, can we say, look, this person, this person has kind of lost their rights mm-hmm. as a human being? Um, and I don't know the answer. I'm not advocating right. one side or the other. I'd love to hear two really smart people debate both sides of right. that, right? Before, so you have to take this position, you have to take this position. Right. But it just seems like some people just will never change. Yeah. And so what are your thoughts on that? No, I, I'd agree. I, I think there is, and again, you know, if you look at the psychological makeup, uh, their past behavior, et cetera, and if you look at, you know, the treatments that they've been exposed, et cetera, and things that haven't worked, you will find that there, you know, it's a genetic or, or, or a predisposed trait that you have mm-hmm. that unfortunately cannot be fixed, mm-hmm. right? And so you can put that person on medication mm-hmm. potentially, um, but at what point, you know, and for how long, right? Um, so, you know, I, I never lose hope uh, on, on a given person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that generally people are great Human beings are great. Yeah. Uh, but there will be certain situations where you can't, you know, you, no matter what you try, it's not going to be able to help. Right. And so that's where you create, you know, an environment for them. And I'm not saying jail is the right environment. Maybe it's a different kind of an institution, mm-hmm. right, where they're safe um, and they can't harm anybody else, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but they get a decent life. Right. Right. Um, what would an institution like that look like? I don't know. You know, I mean, I, I, I've seen some of the, you know, the, the hospitals, et cetera, that, that are catered to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never been to one to visit it or anything mm-hmm. like that, right? But I wonder if you can create something like that where, you know, the, the, the bottom line is that they can't harm themselves or harm others. Right. Right. And, and, but do it in a fair and ethical way. Right. So... You know, you bring the right mind, and I'm not one of them, but you bring the, the brightest and the right minds mm-hmm. that, that have that experience, I'm sure you could design a facility like that. Right. Right. And does it does it boil down to a question of economics when it comes to, okay, this person, you know, out on the street is causing, you know, this much police, or costing this much police attention, this kind of harm to other people, yeah. which we can, we can, um, we can accumulate into a total, right? And then the the other side would be okay. We put them in this institution. It costs the taxpayers this amount of right. money per year. Right. Is it is it as simple as an economic um, analysis, or do you just go like, and and who draws the line? Like right. it's, it's such a such a slippery a tough, slope, yeah. right? Oh, like right, who's right, the right. one making the decision right. on this, and right. how do how do we ensure they're not abusing the power? Right. Um, but yeah, I just I think about that a lot because, and I truly believe like yeah, we all you mentioned personality traits. You know, we we've all got different variants of, of a certain set of um, personality traits. I think that there's certain environments that are are really bad for certain personality traits, right. and, but put in a different environment can be exceptionally strong exactly. and, and they can excel, right? Um, but yeah, it's just it's an interesting yeah. thing that yeah. that um, that I've I've thought a lot about. Um, and also the thing about like using data to solve these problems, right? Like oftentimes, I don't know if you've seen this, but the, the narrative and the data don't align. Right. What are you seeing? Are you seeing any examples of that right now where people are not focusing on something that's really a problem or focusing on something too much that the data says isn't actually that big of a problem? Yeah, well, I mean, look at this pandemic, mm-hmm. right? You, you'll see, you know, you'll see two variants of, of wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, mm-hmm. right? 
Um, and you can go on and debate and debate and debate, right? But when you actually look at the data and the transmission, you'll see that if you're wearing a mask, the the, 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 the odds of transmitting something to another person mm -hmm. are much less, right? Right? It's clear, right? Um, and so, but yet you don't, mm -hmm. right? Because, you know, there's a certain belief or whatever. Uh, you've seen the anti-maskers and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Right? And, you know, I, I can't find one person that loves wearing a mask. Right. Nobody I know loves wearing a mask. Yeah. Okay. But when you see the data and you go, you know, I'm doing it for the rest of the people around mm -hmm. me. I'm going to wear a mask. Mm -hmm. As uncomfortable as, as it is, mm -hmm. I'm going to wear it because the data shows that it does help prevent it. Right. Okay. Uh, I think more and more you will see that when the data is supported by real life examples and evidence, people will believe it more. Mm -hmm. Right now, AI you know, is seen more as a, as a futuristic, as a mythical, as a, you know, whatever, you know, magic dust. Mm -hmm. um, but the more and more you understand, especially, you know, if you're using a phone, you know, when, when Google Maps will tell you, because it knows where you're going next. Oh, yeah. It'll tell you, again, leave now because there's traffic, mm -hmm. right? You might not realize that it's actually using AI because it's using predictive behaviors mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to indicate how long it's going to take. But when you start understanding that it's AI that's helping you in your day-to-day -day life, mm -hmm. uh, you'll believe it more. Right. Which means the data, I think, at the end of the day will win mm -hmm. that, that battle. But people are so, people are so stubborn. Like, you know, you, you, like you said, okay. But even, even if you didn't believe the data or even if yeah. you were unsure about the data of transmission and how much wearing a mask impacted that, yeah. like to tell a human being, just put a little piece of fabric over your ears in front of your face and nose right. And, and at least you're being safe that way. Right. But people are like, why are people so against that? Yeah. Like, why, why do people fight that tooth and nail? Why are they having marches about yeah. it saying, you can't make me wear a mask? Like, we're so, so many people are so concerned about their rights yeah. and kind of forget about their social responsibilities yeah. that balance off those rights. Yeah. Right. And it just, you know, it's like, it's like the same as using a condom. It's like if you use a condom, you're not going to get an STI right. and you're not going to get someone pregnant. Right. Pretty sure. Right. But obviously that doesn't happen all the time either. And, and the consequences of that are potentially far more drastic than, than just getting COVID. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. We still can't convince people. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't know what that, what that element in our psychology is that doesn't allow us to see things rationally. Well, it's, I, th I think it's a behavioral thing because I, I think, you know, when you're told you can't do something, you want to do it, mm -hmm. right? And if you're told you need to wear a mask, you, you know, there's some personalities will say, well, you can't tell me what to do. Yeah. Right or wrong, you can't tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. It's my choice. Yeah. Right? Um, but if there's people that I know and trust that were thinking that way and now they're wearing a mask, I'm going to be different. I'm going to look and go, okay, well, you know, Bob here... Uh, is same as me, mm -hmm. you know, he loves his freedom, but now I see him wearing a mask, mm -hmm. maybe there's something to it, right? Right. It's like, you know, we look at investment here. There's a lot of people in Alberta, especially that have made their money in, in real estate or, or oil and gas, etc. Mm -hmm. And they think technology is some magic dust, mm -hmm. right? Until one of their peer groups invests in it mm -hmm. and makes some money. Interesting. And they go, oh, hey, Bob made his money in oil and gas, but he put his money, some of his money in the tech company. Yeah. And he did well. Maybe I should consider that. Right. And we're seeing the same thing, right? Because these are folks that were, you know, that would never invest in technology. But now when one of their peer group did. Mm -hmm. And so I think the answer is let's get some of them bought into it. Yeah. There'll be some that will be willing mm -hmm. to listen and learn. Yeah. 
find them and they're the influencers then the rest of the their peer group kind of says oh, okay well maybe it's not such a bad thing right but the you know the whole argument of like you can't tell me what to do is completely flawed yes we can we tell you you can't kill people right or if you do that there's consequences right. for it right? right like it's you know they're it's just flawed logic, but I mean, we're not going to solve it here and now. Have you have you watched the social dilemma yet? No, not yet. No, okay. No. So I've heard about it, so I want to watch it. Yeah, yeah, I watched it the other night. It's yeah. it's interesting. It goes into sort of how how some of these social media sites hijack our psychology right. and right. how they lead to groupthink and right. and conspiracy theories and and polarization and all the like. I think you'll find it really interesting. A little, it's a little, it's a little exaggerative in some parts right. in my mind, right? Um, but I think it, it hits home sort of the point. I, I can imagine it would be exceptionally frightening to to people who didn't already understand that that's what right. that's what social media did Easy. when you pull down Twitter. Yeah. It's like a slot <laughs> machine. It's that variable reinforcement yeah. strategy. Yeah. Um, luckily, I knew it, so it wasn't totally <laughs> earth shattering to me. But it makes you think twice about you know picking up the phone to just look at right. it when you're sitting and you have 10 seconds free, right? right it just right. becomes such a reflex all right. the time. Um, so let's shift gears. Let's talk about the, the mental health and fitness wellness app for yeah. first responders. Yeah. Because I think, again, that is a hugely underspoken about part of our, our society and our first responders. Um, what did the data show or what was the, the precipitating data that, that made this idea come to light? Yeah, so EPS had brought this to us. Um, again, it's, it's it's a known issue, and you know they were seeing more and more uh, examples of it mm-hmm. right within the force. And um, you know, and 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 you you fast forward to. Oh, let me just yeah, yeah, grab him. <laughs> he's stealing the show. Yeah, Rocky's stealing the show here. Hey, buddy. You want to come be on the podcast? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, so EPS brought this to the foundation and said, "Look, we're we're looking at an app for this," um, and there wasn't one in mind. So it was like, you know, is there one that exists, or is there something new that can be developed? Mm-hmm. And you know, going into COVID, um, we know that mental health is going to be a, an issue, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it already is, but we believe that in the fall. Uh, it's going to become a more dominant issue. In line with another lockdown or in line with just, rising numbers? Just, why, why in the fall? You know, it's it just in the summer, there's sun, there's outdoor. Yeah. In in the fall and winter when you're going to be cooped up. Yeah. And we right? have no hockey season starting. Exactly. <laughs> Gloomy, nothing to look forward to. Yeah. Things set in, right? Mm-hmm. So so we, we, you know, and it, it's again a theory, but the theory is it's going to, you know, and and. and Law enforcement are human beings, yep. just like the rest of us. So if we're going to face it, they're going to face it. Mm-hmm. And with everything they see, they're more susceptible to it, mm-hmm. right? And so we wanted to get something out there so we can find a solution uh, that can help them with that. It can be more proactive. Mm-hmm. Now, proactive but respectful, right? Because there's still that stigma, mm-hmm. right? I, I don't want people to know, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you, if you do it right... Um, it can be something where I feel safe, it's on my device, and I can control who gets to see it. Right. Right. And I can reach out to the right professionals, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's a psychologist, whatever, whatever help I need, mm-hmm. I can do that on my own, and I have full control and full power to do that. Mm-hmm. That's what this app is supposed to do. And, you know, we also know that mental health and fitness go hand in hand. You know, if I'm having my daily regiment of exercise, you know, walks or whatever, 
there's a higher odds that my mental health is going to be better, mm-hmm. right? So it kind of ties in together. So it's a great it's a great thing for the foundation to do. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, obviously, we we see you know like men, uh, first responders have some you know high higher proportionate rate of of mental health issues just based on the nature of their work. Uh, I think before before you can even be confident enough or think about being confident enough to reach out for help, it's it's identification of a problem too, right? And and that's a tricky one because you can be going on your, you think your merry way and not realizing how much these things are actually impacting you and you're carrying all of them. Right. What like, so before you even get to the point where you know or you think you should reach out for help, like how, like have you guys looked into how someone even, is it a questionnaire? Is it sort of a, a status update that you're you know doing yourself be like how are you feeling today and then you can look back and see okay well, actually I've been kind of a six out of ten for the right. last month and a half two right. months is that sort of the that's idea? exactly it's it's you know it's more daily or more frequent check-ins yeah right how are you feeling today yeah it's just simple things you know you'll have a happy phase sad phase you know that kind of thing mm-hmm. um, just to kind of give a gauge and, and and just some of the things like you know did you work out today mm-hmm. yeah if you did what did you what was your workout like yeah. You know, did you bicycle? Did you, what did you do? Mm-hmm. So things like that. And then again, with that, along with the data and then tying into the right professions, mm-hmm. you know, you can get a much more better assessment. So you might even tie into, you know, let's say you're wearing a Fitbit or things like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So did you have enough water today? Like all that kind of stuff. Right. So once you get, you know, uh, compare like uh, other data sources together mm-hmm. and, and put them into one bucket, it's amazing the power AI has. Yeah. AI on its own and with its own data set is okay, but when you when you combine it with other data sets, it can be really powerful. Yeah, that I mean, that's something I've been excited about for a long time is is the potential for mixing AI with biometric readings. Exactly. You know, like have have the Fitbit, have HRV monitors, have blood oxygen, um, you know all all that heart rate you know all that stuff sleep right like sleep is is so such a drastically underemphasized part of our society right yeah. um until recently i had myself an apple watch right. i lost it cliff jumping in the strait of georgia <laughs> a month ago um but i had this app that it, it tracks your sleep right and it shows you the the little disruptions it tracks deep sleep versus minimal um light sleep and also you set your goal right so it's so easy to, if you have a couple nights bad sleep in a row, you know, instead of sleeping your seven, eight hours, yeah. you get five to six hours. And then the third day, you, you know, you get a good seven and a half hours, you think you're caught up, but right. you're really not. Right. Like science on sleep deficit shows you can really only catch up about an hour, an hour per night. Right. So if you've got a sleep deficit of five hours, that's gonna take you five full days to recover yeah. from it, right? Exactly. And that obviously impacts your physical performance, your, your mental performance. Um, your mood, right? Yeah. Like it's it's all these things, and they're such simple things that you can do day to day. They're simple, but they're not easy because right. life is complicated yeah. and 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 variable, and, and things happen all the time. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know that that's such an exciting thing to be doing for for first responders, and and ultimately, I mean, it's something that could be, benefit the whole population, yeah. right? If to- we, totally. I mean, if you you know, if you're a first responder. And, you know, like, you know, sometimes you, the, the certain uh, devices, right, will tell you your readiness level today. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> in a first responder situation, it's way more important, right? Like, if you want to go fight a fire and you're not in the right frame of mind, mm-hmm. maybe you shouldn't. Yeah. You know, right? You take a mental health day. 
an app like this might give you that data mm-hmm. to say, look, today I'm not ready. Yeah. I shouldn't go into work today. Or they just put you on a different, you know, on different duty that day, right? Exactly. They put you on a different part of the truck. So exactly. you're, not, you're not operating the ladder, you're, you're driving. Or something exactly. Like that, right? Exactly. It's yeah. It's really interesting to think about the custom custom ability, customization ability, customizability um, of of what these kind of data sets will will provide for, right? Um, I just yeah. I think I think it's super important, and I think it's really great that you guys are that this is one of your primary goals. Um, what is the do you have a list of things that the the CSA is hoping to tackle next? How do you how do you decide like what are, what are the the most pressing issues? Yeah, you know, so so when the chief started uh, uh, here with the EPS, uh, he had struck together a committee, um, you know, and, and and I think it was called Vision Twenty Twenty, if I'm not mistaken. But it was again, you know, leveraging the force to identify what they thought were the biggest challenges mm-hmm. that they were going to face or were facing, right? So they have a list of that. Our partners within the CSA, so you know, in this mental health one, we're partnered with ATB mm-hmm. because ATB is a firm believer in, in providing good mental health, right, for, for everybody. And so they immediately jumped to the table and said, we're going to be a co-sponsor on this. Right. So within the CSA, they have also come up with a list of projects, right, saying these are the things that we think society will need. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and to your earlier point on, on, you know, what law enforcement is facing right now. That there is a challenge that we're working on right now that will address that. Mm-hmm. So the first step is how do we understand truly what the problems are, mm-hmm. right? And we can, you and I can sit here and talk about it, but we're not in the mix. Yeah. Now, if we talk to every community, so every distinct community, right? Uh, the Somalians, the, you know, like every community and, and go in and really meet with them and understand what are the, what are the problems you're facing? Mm-hmm. How does law enforcement help, hinder, et cetera? Mm-hmm. And once we collect all that data, then we'll be in a better position to say, okay, well, here is where we're seeing the issues. Mm-hmm. That is something we're working on right now, and that I think you'll see as, as one of the new challenges coming out. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, we... Does does it does every project... So we missed a piece of this whole community uh, solutions accelerator, and that is that... Not only are you bringing a solution forward that we can implement and test, right? Um, there's prize money involved, right. uh, depending on the challenge, depending on the, the sponsors of it, right. uh, for successful ideas. But then, uh, can you talk about the potential for commercialization of these ideas sure. as well? Yeah, so everything that we bring to the CSA, we know that it's something that the rest of the world will need. Mm-hmm. You know, they might have something, but so if there was something better, they would, they would use it. Right. And so, you know, this liquor store theft challenge, it's, it's a problem everywhere, mm-hmm. right? So if the solution works here, whoever wants to take it can take that idea and commercialize it, mm-hmm. right? Um, same thing with the mental health app. It's, again, first responders all around the world could use it, right? So, so we have designed it in a way where we're completely hands-off. So we'll provide the prize money, et cetera, mm-hmm. right? But if we give you all this data and we give you the, the, the first customer, et cetera, et cetera, we're asking for something back in return, mm-hmm. right? So it could be some kind of a royalty or something. So you go off and commercialize it, you own all the IP, it's all yours. We get a small drip and the reason for that is so that we can keep ourselves sustainable. Of course, We can fund more, fun. exactly, yeah. fund more ideas. Take more chances. Exactly, exactly. So does any project have to have potential for commercialization? So I was thinking about this 
um, a problem in Edmonton that's affected me personally. Yeah. Um, bike theft. Yeah. Right. If you're like, I can't conceptualize a, a, a solution to bike theft. Right. That is commercially um, desirable or that, right. that you can make money off right. of. Right. Um, maybe, now maybe you can, but does yeah does anything that the CSA do have to have that commercial it, it does not have okay. to have it and as a matter of fact <clears throat> the, the, the the bike registry mm-hmm. was funded by the police foundation no way yeah. the bike index yeah come on yes I didn't know that yeah, yeah, yeah. that's awesome yeah yeah. Um, yeah and it's helping it absolutely has yeah. so last year my roommate and mine uh, bikes got stolen we located them online for sale right we engaged the police they they <clears throat> they engaged the thieves yeah uh, and did a what's it called a buy-in a sting basically yeah. where they yeah. go and buy and take right, it back right. right right there's a name for it but i can't remember anyway um so we we re-upped our security in the garage we put anchors and bolts into the walls we put chains around the bikes locked them up we're good because we were negligent the first time. <laughs> well, a month later, somehow the garage door got open. This, right. We imagine had to have been the same thieves, came by with a grinder this time oh. and <laughs> stole the bikes again. So we got them back once, but yeah. not not meant to be the second time mm-hmm. around. But I, I just know like that, like I follow that Edmonton bike theft yeah. group yeah. and I can't believe the number of, of bike thefts there are. Yeah. Like I'd love to see like the totals of it, Yeah. but it's got to be more than liquor store robberies. Oh yeah, yeah. No, right? it's, it's a big problem, you know, and, and those, the catalytic converters was the mm-hmm. other one. <clears throat> so there is another challenge, mm-hmm. uh, which, which the credit will go to the chief's wife mm. um, because she came up with the idea on, um, it, Call it, you know, whatever you want to call it, hotspot or whatever. But it's it's a it's a site where uh, your bike got stolen. Mm-hmm. You're gonna you're gonna post post pictures, serial numbers, or whatever on it. Okay, you're gonna list it as, as lost or stolen. Mm-hmm. Um, so the goal behind it is, I want to go buy a bike. Somebody's selling it on Kijiji. Mm-hmm. Okay, I would go first to this new site and go and look and see is it has it been listed already as, as potentially stolen or lost. So after I found a bike on Kijiji, I'd check the, yeah. cross-reference it with this other exactly. site. Again, disincentivizing the resale of exactly. bikes. Exactly. Yeah. And, and ultimately, we want to be at a certain credibility level where Kijiji automatically ties in. Right. So if I'm posting something on Kijiji, you know, there's a, there's a page where I post my item for sale. Yeah. It's going to automatically check this new site to mm-hmm. see is it listed. Right. Right. So that'd be an, is that called an API? Yeah, an API, exactly. Yeah. exactly. I mean, ultimately, we should just get off Kijiji and, and, and go through Facebook Marketplace because right. it keeps people far more accountable, right? right? right. right. I just sold a couple. But there's Craigslist and yeah. there's sites where you can still, and there'll always be, you know, there's always going to be underground sites. Yeah, always. The dark underbelly right. of the internet. <laughs> exactly. So, so it's just a way of, you know, how, how do we, again, and that, that's something that, you know, won't be commercializable. Yeah. But it is good for the community. Right. Okay. So. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. Well, Ashif, I know uh, you've got a time constraint here, so I'll, I'll let you go. But um, thank you, thank, thank you for you. for what you're doing, and you know, chairing the Edmonton Police Foundation, and and bringing kind of novel solutions to to common problems in in our community. And again, this podcast is all about celebrating people in Edmonton, trying to make the community better. And and so it's just it's such an important thing to do. And I, th- I think it shows a lot of positive intent to people who might be you know, a bit leery of policing based on what's going on this year. So it's good to know that that progressive minds are at work trying to make things better. Thank you. And we have a great board at the foundation. So, uh, you know, it's thanks to all the volunteers that step up. So I really appreciate that. Awesome. And I'll link to I'll link to all that stuff in the show notes. Thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. No problem. Thank you. See ya.
Hey guys, me one more time uh, for just a couple things before you go. I want to thank Ashif for taking the time to come on the podcast again to discuss the important work that he's doing in our city of Edmonton. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you have anyone in mind that you think would make a great City of Champions guest, please feel free to hit me up with their name. Uh, There are a ton of people doing incredible things in Edmonton, and I'll continue to try and highlight as many of them as I can. That's all for today, and I'll see you next time.